Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. It is really a joy to be with you again on this special Sunday. As you know, we've been away, my family, for the last two weekends, and we had to travel for the funeral two weekends ago to Shishlui, down in Durban side, in northern Natal. And then also last week we were traveling to the Drakensberg. But it's such a joy for us now to be back with you. And every time I see this pool in front of me, it reminds me that our God saves. Our God saves. He's not done calling people to himself and uniting him to sinners like us. And so this is a special Sunday where we are going to celebrate what God has done in the lives of three individuals here in the church family. And so thank you for being here and worshiping with us. But as you know, we are studying the book of Galatians. And so uh, I want to draw your attention back to the book of Galatians. I'm thankful to Alan and Blake who've helped us think through suffering and glory over the last couple of weekends and help us to think of the, the way God is at work even through suffering. But now I want us to take our Bibles again and open up to the book of Galatians. And we are in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And I want to read for us from verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read up until the end of verse 9. And the emphasis of our text today is on verses 8 and 9. So Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. This is the Word of God. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Children, if you're listening today, and I hope you are, the word you're listening for is blessing. Blessing. When someone is successful in this life, and I mean successful in the world's eyes, people make a big deal about it. And especially they make a big deal where this person is from. 
People want to have some sort of association with that person's success. Made me think of Elon Musk. I think everyone's pretty much aware of who Elon Musk is and how successful and rich he is in the world's eyes today. Books have been written about this man and his journey and his success. I mean, he's in the media all the time. And I'm sure you know that he's actually from South Africa. This is a man, international man of fame, that actually is from South Africa. In fact, he just went to a school down the road from us right here. And he's worth a lot of money. And many people all over the world are interested in him because of what he's achieved. And so in a sense, because he is from South Africa, some people feel there's some sort of connection there, you know. They want to somehow imagine they can be associated with one of the wealthiest men in the world. Because they come from the same place. And in some way, they wish they could share in the blessings of Elon Musk. But that's not very realistic, is it? Elon Musk is not sitting in his mansion in America and thinking about the people in South Africa. And as we've seen in our study of Galatians, the Jews thought that automatically they share in the blessings of Abraham because of their association with him. But what today's passage teaches us is in fact something that is very realistic. Because God is the one who made a promise about a blessing. And what God is telling us today is that anyone, anyone can have a share in the blessing that He has promised to Abraham if you believe Jesus like Abraham did. I mean, look at verse 9. Paul says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's the big idea. That's the point Paul is trying to drive home here. You can be blessed along with Abraham, which is pretty good news, isn't it? It doesn't matter what your background is, your race, your gender, social class, where you grew up. It's no matter who you are and what your past looks like, you can become a beneficiary of Abraham's blessing. And church, this is the blessing you really want. This is the blessing all of us desperately need. In fact, those who are getting baptized today, they are saying, this is the blessing I have. Not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And what Paul has been saying to the Galatians is that, To have a share in Abraham's blessing, you need to be a part of Abraham's family. That's what we looked at last time we were in Galatians together. The emphasis was on being sons of Abraham. How is that possible? And if we take a quick step back again, let's just try and remember the context of what's going on. Because overall, we've seen that Paul is trying to protect the purity of the gospel. And he's astonished that the Galatians have so quickly turned to the truth they first heard and embraced. And after stating the great theme of justification through faith in Jesus and Christ alone, back in Galatians 2 verse 16, Paul argues for the reality of justification by faith by reminding the Galatians of their own experience. 
and how they received the Holy Spirit. That was chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. In this striking way, the apostle points out that the reality of Jesus Christ and Him crucified was so real to them that if it is as if Jesus was being crucified on a billboard before their very eyes. And the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and their hearts to the reality and the necessity of the cross. They believed and they were brought into a saving relationship with Jesus. Which was then verified by them having received the Holy Spirit. But the apostle understood that experience, even though it's very important, was not the true anchor for the soul. Experience alone is not going to protect the believers in Galatia from false teaching. Because even the troubling Judaizers could appeal to their experience to validate their religion. So instead, what does Paul do? Paul appealed to Scripture. Paul appealed to Scripture as the foundation of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wanted the Galatians to understand that his message of faith alone in Christ alone was not some new twist in the plot of God's great story of redemption. But rather, it was cemented in the unchanging, timeless Word of God. Because even the patriarch Abraham was saved by faith, by believing in Jesus. Way before the law was even an option. Way before circumcision was an issue. And keeping the Sabbath and all the ordinances. Because that is the problem with these Judaizers and what they're saying. They're saying you Gentiles are still outside the covenant made with Abraham. And to experience the covenant blessing, you need to be a son of Abraham. And to become a son of Abraham, you need to be circumcised. But Paul... He quotes the Old Testament. Paul quoting Genesis 15:6 showed the Galatians last time that to be a son of Abraham, you need to take God at His word and believe God. God made this radical promise to Abraham about having a child even in his old age. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Paul says... Being a son of Abraham is not about your bloodline, it's about your faith line. And so even as we read further in Genesis 15, Moses describes the process of how God made the covenant with Abraham. That while even Abraham was asleep, God moved through the sacrificed animals alone to show that Abraham did nothing to earn this blessing. Mother God is showing that he's the one making the commitment. He's the one who's going to keep the promise. And so Paul wants to make it clear that Abraham was not justified because of anything he did. It's always been what God has done. But why should that be such a radical thing in Paul's day? Well, it's because we know by now that the Jews thought they were the only ones who would experience the blessing of the covenant. And for a Gentile to be in the family and to share in the promised blessing... You had to become a Jew. And so what Paul is saying is that if you want to be in the covenant with Abraham, 
and you want to share in the blessings, believe God. Believe the Word of God. More specifically, believe in the good news of the Scriptures. The good news that was preached even to Abraham way before Jesus came into this world. And that is the first thing I want us to notice from verse 8 today. I don't have a fancy outline for our message today. We're just simply going to walk through these two verses. And if you want to share in the blessings of Abraham, you must understand the scope and the extent of the gospel. The scope and the extent of the gospel. Paul says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, this is verse 8, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God has always intended to have all people, groups, and nations share in the blessing of Abraham. And part of the problem with the false teachers in Galatia was that they believed that the gospel was a new thing. The gospel was a new thing. It only came through the earthly ministry of Jesus. However, Paul wanted the Galatians to know that the gospel isn't just good news. In fact, it's old news. The gospel stretched back to the Old Testament. And the earliest days of redemptive history. Now think about it. You and I don't typically go to the Old Testament to share with people the good news of Jesus, do we? When you're evangelizing or you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else... We'd rather go to passages like Romans 6, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21. But in this context, Paul is wanting us to see the gospel has been around for a very long time. That both Old and New Testaments are connected. He wants to show us that God has always had you and me in mind to share in the blessing of Abraham. And so he says to the Galatians, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Paul is saying that in the promise God made to Abraham, God wasn't having this plan A with the Jews, and then he came up with a plan B with the Gentiles. It has always been his plan to only have one plan. Because God only needs one plan, because his plans never fail. And if you look at the storyline of the Bible, you see that in Genesis 12, where God first called Abraham, that it follows a certain context of Genesis 3 to 11, doesn't it? Someone has said, when you step over that line from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, you move from this massive city to this one solitary individual. But in Genesis 3 to 11, the Bible describes the fall and its effects. Right? How every dimension of this life is out of line with the original design of God's goodness and His intended purpose. Human beings are adding to their long list of offenses one after the other. There's jealousy, there's anger, violence, corruption, drunkenness, sexual immorality. We see women enjoying the gift of childbirth, but it comes with pain and suffering. Men find fulfillment in subduing the earth and working hard, but they do it with frustration and anger. And all this just keeps getting worse. 
every inclination of the human heart is said to be only evil continually. That's what the Bible says. One man goes on to say, he says, As technology advanced in the primitive days, what is meant to be designed and used for agriculture and music, people use it as weapons for violent death. So we see in this context that God made people different. In race and culture and language, which was something to be celebrated, but rather it leads to confusion, fighting and hostility toward one another. And it's in this very context of all this chaos in the world that God called Abraham and entered into a covenant with him to reverse all these horrific effects of sin on the world and having his blessing extend to all nations. Now imagine you look at the 9-11 towers and as that airplane hits the towers and everything goes down in smoke and destruction. Imagine you watch that video in reverse. How, how the building is being built back up and the plane flies away. Essentially that is what God is doing through the covenant made with Abraham. And this is what we all want, right? To see everything restored to the way it should be. To live each day knowing and trusting that God is the one who's going to get it done. And so Paul says, And the scripture foreseen. And the scripture foreseen. This is interesting language. Scripture here is described as if it was a person. Do you see it? As if it can see something. It's as if Scripture is like a living person that can see something into the future. And we know the Scripture is living and active. Because it comes from the mouth of God. It is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3 says. And so what this is telling us is that God and Scripture are so closely related in this verse, verse that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. We see this again in chapter 4, verse 30, where Paul says, But what does the Scripture say? Which, of course, is the same thing as what we notice says, What does God say? Now, B.B. Warfield said, God and Scriptures are brought into such a conjunction as to show that in point of directness of authority, no distinction was made between them. But what exactly did Scripture foresee? The scripture saw that people like you and me, Gentiles, who are lost in their sin, will be justified by faith and not by our own efforts. Because it's never been God's design that people are accepted by Him based on their own obedience. It's always faith first. Then comes obedience. But do you notice what Paul calls the promise? in which Abraham placed his faith. What does he call it? He calls it the gospel. He calls it the gospel. Again, Paul is saying, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now what is striking here is that God was the one doing the preaching of the gospel to this one-man audience of Abraham. He was the evangelist. He's the one who preached the good news to Abraham in the Old Testament. But what did he preach? 
Because we already said last time by looking at Genesis 15, 6, that God promised Abraham a son. But the gospel here is described by going back even further. Because Paul is quoting Genesis 12, verse 3, and essentially Genesis 18, 18. And saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In chapter 18 he says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This is what Paul says the gospel is. This is the gospel that God preached to Abraham. He's saying that part of the good news in the Old Testament is that all people will be blessed. And he said it in a context where there's only evil continually. And of course we understand that the gospel, the good news, involves believing and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? There is no gospel without Jesus. But then how can Paul say that the gospel, believing in Christ, existed before Christ came into this world? What Paul is saying is that Abraham's faith was not just this generic faith, but it was a Christ-centered faith. Even though he never saw Jesus. And you're like, how so? How is that possible? Because in the verses that follow, here in Galatians 3, we're going to get to that in the weeks ahead. Paul specifically states that Christ redeemed believers from the curse of the law. And that the blessing of Abraham specifically comes through Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14. Paul then identifies the recipient of the promises as Jesus. Galatians 3, 16. He says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. And so even as we take another step back, we see that God promised a a child to Abraham, and this is a promise that makes a way for the seed of Eve to come, doesn't it? Because in Genesis 3.15, many of us know that, that God gives us the first allusion to the gospel promise in the Old Testament. That one of Eve's descendants will come to crush the serpent's head after he had suffered. This is what we call the the proto-evangelium. That's a nice big word for you. Where the promised seed, this descendant is referring to the coming of the Messiah. This is referring to Jesus. And in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, essentially God promises that the Messiah will come from Abraham. And Abraham believed this to be true, that from his seed will come the one who will be the perfect sacrifice and atonement for sin. Again, as Luther said, the faith of the fathers was directed at the Christ who was to come, while ours rests in Christ who has come. And Paul is not making this stuff up. This is not just his own ideas, because Jesus said the same thing. Look at John chapter 8, verse 56. John 8, verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And you're like, how is that possible? Because he didn't see him. Abraham didn't know who Christ would be specifically. But he knew God was going to provide a sacrifice. He knew God was going to provide the acceptable offering. He knew God was going to fulfill His promise of atonement for sin. 
the atonement that would satisfy the justice of God. And even though Abraham never got to see the fulfillment of the promise himself, he was able to trust God that he will get it done. And that's why Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham believed that God would make this promise of worldwide blessing in Jesus a reality. You see, when any person at any given time in the history of the world trusted in the truth that God revealed to him at that time, that person received the blessing of Abraham like Abraham. Let me give you another example. 2 Kings chapter 5. You have the story there of this Syrian soldier called Naaman. He was a Gentile who God struck with leprosy because he was killing people all over the place. And he was told by Elisha, God's prophet, to go and wash himself clean in the Jordan River. Elisha communicated to him the truth about God. And at that point in time in history, uh, he listened. And how did Naaman respond? 2 Kings 5 verse 15, he says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. This man listened to the word of God through the prophet Elijah, Elisha, and he was cleansed from his leprosy. And he wanted to pay for this cleansing. But he couldn't pay. Why? Because he was free. But more importantly, he was cleansed from his sin. Because he put his trust in the truth that he heard. And he was also, this was also free. Because salvation has always been free. No one can do enough, or give enough, or pay enough for their sins. And so in verse 19, Elisha says, Go in peace. That's salvation, church. He had salvation, which meant peace with God. Because of trusting in His Word. This is how the blessing of Abraham was extending to all the nations. But what exactly is the blessing of Abraham? Because when we read God's great covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, we discover that in fact, many different blessings were promised. Some are personal, some are national and political, some are universal and spiritual. Certainly God did make Abraham's name great, we know that. He is revered not only by Jews, but by Christians, by Muslims, and by many others. In fact, one scholar says, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam trace their start to God's promise of blessing to Abraham. So there's a lot of people interested in this blessing. We see that God did multiply his descendants. And God did bless those who blessed Abraham. He also judges those who curse his descendants. We think of Egypt and, and Babylon and, and Rome. But the greatest blessing that God sent through Abraham has to do with our eternal salvation. As one commentator says, he says, The greatest blessing is justification. God's declaration that we are not guilty of our countless sins against Him. 
And that we will forever stand before Him in perfect righteousness because of faith in the gospel of His Son. What greater blessing could we ask for? And so as you think about it, the promise God makes to Abraham is ultimately the promise of the kingdom of God. Where God is creating a people for Himself who will live under His rule and experience His presence so they can bring blessing to the entire world. And now, once you have received this blessing from Abraham, you know what? Whatever comes your way, you know it comes from a loving Father. Because God has restored your broken relationship through Jesus. Once you have this blessing of Abraham, it means you have peace with God. But if you think the blessed life is one of material possessions, of money, and houses, and cars, and a a problem-free life, and you think you're right with God because all the stuff you have, and all the, the good stuff you think you do, you're looking at those things to be right with God, please note that the Bible says you don't share in Abraham's blessing. Rather, the Bible says you're guilty before God. You are liable to God for His just and holy condemnation. In other words, you are not at peace with God. But if you say, I want to be blessed, I want to have this blessed life according to Galatians 3.8 and Genesis 12, then you must recognize how sinful you are. You must look to Christ by faith and trust the gospel promise. That Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice for your sin. Then the blessing of Abraham will be yours in Christ. And so what Paul is showing the Galatians here from the Old Testament, as he's defending the truth of the gospel, is that God has always had the Gentiles and all nations in mind in his big plan of salvation. That the scriptures... God Himself and His big plan look forward to the day when Gentiles will be justified just like Abraham was. How? By faith in the gospel promise of God. And that worldwide blessing promised to Abraham is the good news that started in the Old Testament. And Abraham trusted in the the promised seed. He trusted in Jesus. For that future atonement of his sin and the satisfaction of God's justice. And he was justified because of it. He was right with God. And God would use him to bless others. And that is the reality we see from God's word. And it means that any one of us, any one of us here today, can share in the blessing of Abraham. And so Paul indicates again now, again in verse 9. He says, who are the people who share in the blessing of Abraham? He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is drawing all these thoughts together here. He's concluding his thoughts about this issue of faith by pointing out again that it is only by faith that one can access this blessing. Faith, faith, faith. It's all about faith. But you know what? I think many people, they read the Old Testament 
and think that God saved Israel by their obedience to the law and their sacrifices. But now in the New Testament, He now saves people by grace through Christ. Different ways of salvation. It is a historical fact that some of the, the biggest battles fought by the church of Jesus were not against the non-religious of the world, but against those who profess to have belief in God. Yet they denied that salvation comes only through faith. Augustine fought this battle in the 4th century. John Wycliffe in the same in the 14th century. Luther, Calvin, Tyndale. They all fought against the growing popular belief that God would accept the works of man for righteousness. And despite Paul's crystal clear clarity in this text, it's so obvious, it's, it's clear. Some people in the broader church refused to submit to the message of Scripture. Maybe one of the most obvious examples of this is, is this refusal to submit to the authority of Scripture comes from, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church. In one of their official documents, it says that a person, apart from the gospel, can be saved if he lives an upright life. Well, that already is a problem. But that same document goes on to say, the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. First among who are the Muslims. They profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one merciful God who will judge humanity on the last day. Now did you catch what they were saying? The Roman Catholic Church makes this absurd claim that Muslims share the faith of Abraham. But what today's text makes crystal clear is that God has never changed His mind. He has been faithful throughout the ages to His one promise, the promise of the Gospel. This is the truth that the Muslims need to hear. They need faith in Jesus, not faith in Abraham. This promise of worldwide blessing, of salvation, has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Even in the days of Abraham. And this means that we as a church, we must continue to proclaim this message to the nations. Paul says it is those of faith who share in the blessing with the man of faith. Paul describes Abraham as the man of faith. In fact, the better translation is here is the believer. Abraham, the believer. The believer who had to constantly put his trust in Jesus. Not in his stuff. Not in all these gifts he received, but in God. The tense of this word believer is not a past tense issue, but it's a present tense reality. In other words, if you say you are a believer, at any moment, of any day, you are saying that you trust Jesus every single moment of every single day. For the righteousness you need to be right with God. I'm not a believed. Huh? I'm not a believed past tense. I'm a believer present tense. I'm a believer, which means even in times of suffering, in times of despair, in times of loneliness, I don't stop believing. I keep on believing God. That He is with me. That I have this blessing, no matter what I'm going through. 
And so think about it. No matter what your day looks like, no matter what your circumstances look like, you can say, I am blessed. If you are a true believer in Jesus. And so think about the many ways we, we seek to apply this text. And a couple of things come to mind. One is you can have it all in this world. The job, the money, the house, the career, all of it. And think that you are blessed. But today we are reminded that the only blessing that truly matters is the one that will last for all eternity. It is whether by faith you share in Abram's blessing or not. That's what really matters. And so look at your life. Look at your life and ask yourself, am I just a religious doer or am I a true believer? And if you say you are a believer, what do you believe? Secondly, what do you believe? Abraham believed the gospel promise of Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus as well, no matter where you are in the time of history. Our faith is not an empty faith. It's not this made-up faith, this, this grand idea of how, what I want God to be. We don't get to choose what we want to believe. The message of the gospel is centered on God and what He has done through His Son. Not on who we are and what we want out of this life. Thirdly, we are reminded there is one message and one plan of salvation. One message and one plan of salvation. That, and that plan included you and me from the beginning. This helps us see that there is no race or culture that think it can be better than any other. Because all nations will be blessed together, right? God has kept His one plan and this gives us hope in the promise of God. Because we know He fulfills His promises. This also reminds us that we should not look to the world for hope. What are you looking to for hope in this world? Your friends, family members... We need to look to our faithful Heavenly Father. The one who justifies the ungodly through faith alone and credits the righteousness of His Son to anyone who believes in Him. And then fourthly, we need to go. We need to go. When God called Abraham, the very first thing He said to Abraham is go. Go and leave your stuff behind. To do what God needed him to do. We are called to go as well and to share this message to all the nations everywhere. So that everyone can share in the promised blessing by faith. You wonder why do we plant churches in Pretoria West? Because we have God's faithful promises and he's still at work through his promises. You say, why do we send people to Kabungeni to plant churches and villages? Because we have the promise. And God fulfills His promise. And so finally, think about those who are getting baptized today. Those who are getting baptized. They are proof that God keeps His promises. They are proof that God can be trusted. They are proof that God's gospel is the same for all people. No matter what your background. Because we serve a God who saves. We serve a God who makes promises 
And he keeps his promises. And so I close here with a quote from John Piper. He says it like this. Who then are the heirs to the precious and very great promises made to Abraham and to his seed? God's word says you are. To whom can it be said your sins are forgiven? God is for you. With all his power, goodness and mercy. He will pursue you all the days of your life. And you will rise from the dead. Your name will be great. You will possess the gates of your enemies. You will fill the new world with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. To whom can all this be said? To you, the children of Abraham, through faith in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.21, For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or, or Cephas or the world or the life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Praise God that we can share in the blessing of Abraham. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are such a merciful God that you would, even in the beginning of Scripture, in this chaotic context of sin and perversion, call to yourself this one man, Abraham, that you would make a promise to him and commit yourself to him and commit yourself to this promise. To see your son come into this world. To die on a cross. To rise from the dead so that we as Gentiles can be be saved. That we can share in this promised blessing. This gospel of the Old Testament. This gospel of the New Testament. So Father, we thank you that even as we look at this this issue of Abraham and, and faith and and everything that, Lord, you don't require anything of us but faith. You don't say, pull up your socks and, and, and make yourself right and then come to me. So, Lord, we come to you broken, sinful people. And we thank you for the blessing that is Jesus. And, Father, I pray even for those who are getting baptized today, Lord, that they... Lord, would find such great encouragement that they would know, that every believer in this room would know, that even before, <laughs> before the world began, you knew who would be saved. And you didn't keep that a secret, Lord. You, you, you communicated that to us in the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures foresee that we would be saved. And so we stand here today, Lord, just praising God. Praising you, Lord that you are the one that keeps your promises. You are the one that is faithful to your promises. Thank you that we are blessed. We are blessed because of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.